I will turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. We are going to finish up this chapter and move into chapter 7 next week. We're coming kind of to a conclusion or to a close at least a little bit. We're, we're at least three quarters of the way through this sermon. And in this section of the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus is dealing with the subject of money and our relationship to it. We've had a couple uh, we, we've talked a, a couple different times now about the way that we, he, he relates that to us. He taught us that we cannot pile our money up on this earth, uh, but we should invest it in heaven. He said that in, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He told us that we can't serve God and mammon or God and money, God and things at the same time. He says that in, in verse 22 and through 24. You cannot serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to love the one and hate the other. You can't serve both. And then in, in Matthew chapter 6, here in verse 25, he says, basically, since you understand these two concepts, and assuming you've chosen to serve God and not mammon, not money, then you have nothing to worry about financially. God, uh, being your master, will take very good care of you. Look at he says there in verse number 25, therefore I say unto you, and you've heard this many times before, I'm sure, but whenever you see the word therefore, you should look and see what it's there for. And obviously he's talking about things leading up to this and, and those that I just mentioned. You can't serve God in money. You can't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. You need to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Therefore, because of those things, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have needed all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, three times in this passage, he admonishes us with the phrase, take no thought for tomorrow. Take no thought for tomorrow. If he says that three times in a matter of just a few verses, don't you think that is an important phrase that he's trying to get across? He doesn't mean that we're not to prepare for the future. We've talked about this before. There's plenty of scriptural admonition for us to, to be wise and to be prudent with our money and to be financially, uh, um, make, make good financial decisions. It's only prudent. He says in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 3, and actually Proverbs 27 and verse 12, they say that both of those verses say the exact same thing. He says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. See, it's not common sense. Uh, it, it's not common sense preparation for the future that, that God is against. 
Um, it's, he's warning against this, this burdensome, worried spirit about wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. How am I going to take care of tomorrow? What's going to happen financially? What's going to happen physically? What's going to happen? Over much stressing about what's going to happen, how that provision is going to come, when that provision is going to come. And so the basic thought tonight is this. Take no thought for your life. Take no thought for tomorrow. That's what he says. And so we're going to look at just a, a few thoughts on that uh, topic tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple things here. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time that we can spend together around it. And I pray that you'd help us as we look at these principles tonight, this message that you were trying to get across to us. God, I pray that you'd help us not to be worried about things that you already have under control. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight through the message in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing is this, worry is ultimately futile. Worry is ultimately futile. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27 says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Right? Maybe at some point in your life, I realize that we live in a scientifically and medically advanced age. Right? Baseball players, they take all of these, and, and honestly, the steroid era, era you know, made themselves faster and stronger through chemicals, right? There's a lot of things out there nowadays that they can take that are considered legal that make them bigger and faster and stronger, and they're, they're constantly taking these things to try to get the advantage over the competition. Now, you can make yourself heal more quickly now. You can supplement and medicate yourself legally and illegally to try to make yourself better. Uh, but for almost the entire world, if a person desires to grow 18 inches taller, that's something that's an impossibility. You cannot, for all the medical advancements that we have, make yourself grow taller. Uh, we got our yellow lab on Craigslist, Bo. M most of you have seen him over at the house. And we put an ad about what we were looking for. Uh, we didn't want a puppy. I love puppies, but we, we weren't ready to deal with all the stuff that comes with puppies. So we put this ad on Craigslist. We're looking for a dog, not, not very old, because we don't, you know, we don't want the, you know, your dog that's on its last legs, even if it is trained. But we'd like to have a dog that's trained in the house. And, of course, everything else is a bonus. And within a, a matter of minutes, I got a response. Now, this, was, this is going on 10 years ago now. You know, a lot of people don't use Craigslist the way that they used to anymore. But uh, I got a response very quickly from somebody who said, I have exactly the dog that you're looking for. And of course, when somebody says that, you're hesitant automatically. You know, why are you getting rid of it if it's the perfect dog, you know? And I asked the lady that question. I said, well, if he's so good, and she said, I love this dog. He's the greatest dog I've ever had. He's trained in the house. He's got all his shots. Uh, he's got this up to date. He's got that. We have a bark collar that you can use for him. And I'm like, if this dog is the greatest thing in the world, then why are you getting rid of him? And she said, well... I have a four-year-old grandson that I end up watching a lot of times, and he beats up on the dog, and I can't stop him, and I just, I feel bad for the dog, so I can't get rid of my grandson, so I'm going to get rid of the dog, you know? And I said, all right, well, we'll come over there and take a look at him. And uh, was Jackson born by that point? He was, Jackson was just a, a baby, and uh, he and Bo were actually born right around the same time. Bo was about a year old, Jackson was about that same age, I guess. And so we go over there and look at him, and sure enough, everything that she said about this dog, he didn't jump, you know, he, uh, she let him outside when we got there, he went out and went to the bathroom, you know, he didn't, he didn't get up on the furniture, he stayed out of this room, he did that, she had this huge basket of stuff that she gave us, and we got in there, and, and um, there was a couple kids in there, I think one of them was probably eight or ten years old, and, you know, so we start talking and everything else, and, and I said, well, well, I appreciate that, you know, 
I, and she said, uh, you know, I said, what's your grandson's name? I, you could tell that there was a difference enough in age that this was a grandson. And she said, oh, whatever his name was. And she said, yeah, he's only four years old. And I looked at this kid. He'd come up almost to my shoulder. And I said, he's four? And she said, yes. And that's why he beats up on the dog. He doesn't even know his own strength. He's not trying to do it, but he's so rough with him because he doesn't even realize what he's doing. And I feel so bad for the dog, that's why I'm getting rid of him. And I said, he's four years old? And she said, well, his dad is 7'2", and his mom is 6'9", so I guess he gets it on. And I said, are you going to be kidding me? Uh, and I you know, so, but the thing is, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things medically today, but no matter how hard you try, if you, wanna, if you want to be taller, then you need to repick your parents and start all over, because that's the only way that it's going to happen, Right? This kid was huge, but it wasn't because he sat there and thought, I want to be tall as a four-year-old. He had a big dad and a big mom, and I didn't see either one of them, so I'm taking her word for it, but I believe every bit of what she was saying, you know. I've got brothers that are taller than me. I've wished that I was taller than I am, and I'm not short, but, you know, for all of the thinking, no matter how hard I think about it, I cannot and will not get any taller, uh, at least when I'm standing up and down. If I lay down on my back, maybe, but... In the financial area, and Jesus talks about that, there are certain things that you can do, there are certain things that you can avoid doing that will, that will uh, help your financial future, but worry isn't one of them. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get across. God said if you'd give yourself to him, then he would take, take upon himself the job of worrying about your future. And it's not a worry to him, he already knows what's going to happen. Worry won't make him do any better, won't make him do anything any faster. So we see, first of all, Worry is ultimately futile, but secondly, the illustrations of how God cares for his responsibilities. I'm telling you that God is going to take care of his responsibilities, but how does he do it? Well, he gives us a few illustrations. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26, he says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. He likens us to birds. They aren't lazy. They work very hard at feeding themselves, but they have no way of storing up for the future. And since God didn't create birds with, uh, you know, um, like, like ants or bears or squirrels or some of these others that actually, you know, hide things away for the, for the winter, he takes it upon, the, upon himself the job of making sure that the birds are taken care of. And he does a pretty good job at it. He also likens us to the lilies in verse 28. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. They don't even work in that sense. They're, they're not even conscious. They're even less conscious than birds are. They're even less able to store their own food and everything else. And yet they're, they're beautifully clothed because their maker provides for them. Uh, the richest man who ever lived, Solomon, wasn't even as beautifully clothed as the lilies, the Bible says. And God knows that you need food. God knows that you need clothes. God knows that you need shelter. And one of the amazing benefits that we get when we belong to him is that he takes upon himself the job and the responsibility of taking care of us. The illustration uh, that we see all the way throughout the Bible, we don't necessarily see it in this passage, but boy, I tell you, it fits so well is of a servant and a Lord. And the, the word, one of the names that's used most often for God in the Bible is Lord. And when we see that, that and, I'm, and I'm sure that you've seen it in almost every Bible, maybe every Bible does it, uh, when it's translated 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in the Old Testament, that word Lord is the word for Jehovah. And, and other, the other transliterated into English from Hebrew is Adonai, which means lowercase Lord or Master. And in the New Testament, which obviously was written in Greek, um, it, Lord, transliterated, transliterated into English, is the word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-U-S, and that means master. We see that over and over and over in the Bible. So interestingly enough, the same root word that we use for Lord is also the same root word that we get for the word church, which means house of the master. In Bible times, what you see happening a lot is that slavery was widely practiced, and um, you know, the roles of the master and the slave were understood by basically everybody. We see that. I mean, uh, you see it in Timothy. You see it in, in, um, in Philemon. You see it in other places. It basically just takes for granted the fact that there were going to be servants. Uh, there were going to be masters and there were going to be servants. And God tells in many places, treat your servants well, right? Treat those that are under you well. He talks about that. But, of course, there were bad masters. There were good masters. The best masters were the ones that understood their responsibility and, and treated their slaves humanely, enough to clothe them and feed them and shelter them and do things for them. In fact, the best masters treated their slaves more like servants by not only providing for their needs, but, but also providing what was necessary in order, for, in order to fulfill the tasks that the master wanted them to do. I think one of the greatest examples of this in a negative connotation is what you see happening in, in, uh, in Egypt with Pharaoh and Moses, Right? Pharaoh had these, Egypt, had these uh, Israelite slaves that were under the thumb of the Egyptians, and basically he was making them make bricks. But then he took it a step further, and he said, you're going to make these bricks, but you're going to do it without straw. It's almost an impossibility. They needed the straw to be able to make the bricks, but then he said, I'm not going to provide the straw for you. You go find the straw from somewhere else. Well, it's almost an impossible situation for them to be in. That's a, that's a situation where they're not going to be able to please their master. And in fact, the Oriental Institute at the University of Chicago has some of those Egyptian bricks that they found in archaeological digs, and they actually do have uh, little pieces of straw sticking out of those bricks. Um, I've never been there. I've read about it. But without that straw, that task would have been impossible. And our Lord and our master is the complete opposite of the way that Pharaoh was with Moses and the, uh, the other Israelites. Not only does he treat us more like children, uh, than either servants or slaves, but he lovingly cares for us. He lovingly uh, um, and carefully ensures that we have everything that's necessary both to accomplish the tasks that he gives us to do and to take care of us in the way that a master would take care of a slave or a servant or the way that a father would take care of his children. That's what he does for us, right? And, and it's exactly what we were talking about this morning. If God gives us a task, He's going to give us the power and the ability to accomplish that task. And he's going to give us everything that we need at our disposal to accomplish the task that he's given us to do. And not only that, he gives us the illustrations of the, uh, of the, the birds, and he gives us the illustration of the lilies. And we see this illustrated in the servant and master uh, connotation throughout the Bible. But look what he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Are ye not much better than they? Verse 30, shall he not much more clothe you? The third thing is this, he'll take better care of us than them. It's very obvious that God loves birds. He created them. 
He created a wide variety of them. He produced them by the billions. But they aren't made in his image. And he didn't send his son to die for the birds. It's very obvious that God loves flowers. He created them. He created a wide variety of them. He created them by the trillions. But God didn't send his son to die for the flowers. He only did that for you and for I, for, for me. He only did that for us. It's not a secret that, that I like to work with wood. I've done a decent number of, of things and made quite a handful of tables and bookshelves and all of those things. I, I, I like what I've built for the most part. Some of them I'm not, you know, I, I take it or leave it. But I can tell you this, if I had a fire at my house tonight, I'm not running around looking for the table and looking for the bookshelves and all those things that I made. Those are the last things that I'm going to look for. I'm not even going to look for them at all. I'm going to be looking for my kids. I'm going to look for my wife. I'm going to look for, uh, you know, the things that are the most precious to me, and that's my family. And, you know, in a sense, I created all of those things. I created the bookshelves and the tables and my children and everything else. But there are some things that mean so much more to me that it's almost impossible to express. And that's exactly the same way that it is with God and us. God will take care of us so much better than the other things that he's created. Does he love them? Absolutely. Does he take pride in those things? Absolutely. You can tell because he takes care of those things. But he says, if I do this for the birds, and if I do this for the flowers, how much more important are you than birds and flowers? I sent my son to die for you. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? Which brings us then to the last point. The issue with our money is primarily one of faith. The issue that we have with our money is not an issue of whether or not we have enough. The issue we have with money is the issue of faith. We spend a lot of time consumed with money problems. But the scriptural truth that we have here in Matthew chapter 6 in verse number 30 is that we don't have a money problem. We have a faith problem. Look what he says there in verse number 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? There's a lot of Christians that don't tithe, not because, he does, not, not because a Christian doesn't have the money, but because he doesn't have the faith to believe that if he puts his money in the offering plate that God's going to take care of him, right? There's a lot of Christians, and I, I'm, I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I'm not talking about uh, our church necessarily. I'm talking about Christians in general. I've heard it many, many times throughout my life from all kinds of different people and places. Well, I've got all these bills, and I think it would be in, irresponsible of me to not take care of my bills. God tells us not to be in debt. So until I get my bills taken care of, I'm just going to use my tithe money to pay that off. Now, God tells us that we ought to give him the first fruits. We ought to be tithing to God. And you know what? The more you give, you can never outgive God. And if there's any principle that I've seen, you know, illustrated in my own life over and over and over and over is that you can never outgive God. You give more than what you think you give, and God will give you way more back. We saw that happen just even recently. I mean, it, God just does that for us because he's going to take care of his children. And the tithe and the offerings and all of those other things, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, even older people that, that I think fall into this category sometimes, chew their, chew their fingernails to the nubs, worrying about, you know, how they're going to take care of themselves financially. And, and even younger people do the same thing. We worry about these things, you know. Um, how, what, what's going to happen in retirement and all of these other things when, 
just a, a quiet faith in God would have left your fingernails intact if you just leave it over to God, give it over to him. We don't need to worry about our financial situation. There's certainly a number of wise and, and prudent financial principles that are taught throughout the Bible. That's what I'm saying. I don't think we ought to be irresponsible with our money. But once we've done those things, we, we just have to rest in the assurance of his provision. He's going to provide for us. We're one of his. He says, if, if the grass and, the, and, and all of these flowers and everything else that are so beautiful that, he, that he'll raise so beautifully only to th- be thrown into the oven the next day, he said, you're, you're so much more important than that. You're, you're worth so much more than that, and yet he takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China in the 19th century, and, he's, uh, and he ended up spending 51 years of his life there, but he, he ultimately would be responsible for over 800 missionaries going to China in his lifetime uh, because he started the China Inland Mission. And he was one of the first missionaries that actually went over there, one of the first missionaries to start what is kind of the, the modern-day mission board there are more Christians in China than any other nation on the planet in 2013. And humanly speaking, that's more due to Hudson Taylor than any one man. I don't know if that statistic is still true today, but in 2013, when, I, when the story was, that I found was written, uh, that was the case. And he said a lot of things that are worth repeating. Now, Hudson Taylor wrote, uh, uh, most of those guys back then wrote a lot of things. But one thing especially comes to mind in light of this sermon For decades, he was faced with a lot of incredible financial pressures. He went to China with very little support. Uh, Practically speaking, there was not a support system in place like there is today. Missionaries go on deputation, they raise support, they go overseas, and they live relatively comfortably. I mean, not not everybody does, but relatively comfortably on on the support that comes in from churches. Hudson Taylor and a lot of these early missionaries didn't have any of that. They weren't over there in China working jobs. They were, they were relying solely on faith and that they are doing what God called them to do, and so God will take care of them. And, and how many times, and one of the reasons why these men come to the forefront in examples like this is because God always provided for them. But once he was dealing with a particularly large shortfall in the accounts, and he turned to a fellow missionary, and he said this, He said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. I know you're broke sometimes, but trust him. I know sometimes we face an uncertain job future, but trust him. We're staring medical bills in the face. Trust him. You know, I I know that you're wondering sometimes how you're going to pay for certain things. Trust him. We, We struggle with having too much, too much month at the end of the money. I know you've heard that phrase before, but that's what happens sometimes. We get to the point where we, we just don't have the money there, and we need things that we have to pay for. Can I be a little transparent with you this evening? I chose a vocation where there's very little money to be made. Uh, certainly, there's evangelists that are out there that are making millions and billions. They're doing it for a job, and that's not what this is. This is a calling. How am I going to pay for braces if my kids grow up and find out that they need braces? You know, how am I going to how am I going to pay for vacations that can make memories for them? Um, you know, how how am I going to pay for Riley's wedding? How am I going to help them with college? You know, we're we're trying to save up to put an addition on our house that we need to put on there. How can I? How can you pay for those kind of things when life keeps coming at you? 
But I'll tell you this. Number one, it's not about money at all. Number two, God has taken care of us well beyond what I ever thought we'd be taken care of. And number three, those financial things are not mine to worry about. I belong to God. He's my father. It's not just because I'm a pastor. It's not just because I've got this great faith or anything like that. I fall very short in a lot of those areas. But I tell you this, I'm his child. He takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of me. And he's going to take care of you. And he's going to take care of everyone that belongs to him. Why? Because that's what he does for his children. And we don't need to worry. We don't need to wonder. We don't need to, you know, all those things, you know, because then on top of that, and maybe I'm thinking about it a little bit more, because here we are, we're, we're putting together a new budget for the beginning of this year. And the budget is getting bigger. The expenses are getting bigger. The church is getting bigger. And the bigger we get, the more there's financial pressure and the more there's uh, financial responsibilities. And, and they weigh on us sometimes. Our personal finances, our, our, our church finances, and, and we do everything. We're not in debt. We do everything we can to stay out of debt. Um, because that's the worst thing that you can do is get into debt. But as a church... You know, we spent, and, and we'll talk about this on Wednesday night. We're going to have the, the business meeting on Wednesday night. But uh, we spent a lot of money this year because we got into the building. We had a lot of one-time expenses. We had money saved up, which, which helped out tremendously. Um, but our budget stepped way up this year. We were short on our budget this year. Um, in, we, we, in, in other words, we spent more than we brought in. But you know how much short we were? at the end of this year, $15, $15, God provides, God provides, he knew that we were going to get into this building, he knew that we were going to have a lot of expenses that we didn't have at this time last year, we were in a hotel, we had one bill, <laughs> you know, really, we paid the hotel rent, and that was about it, and of course, you know, you, you have other, other operating expenses and stuff like that, but this is a whole different level. But God provided to the point where we are $15 short. And we already had money in the account, so it's not like we're scrounging for $15, you know. God takes care of us. And he's going to take care of us. That's his promise to us as his children. I'm in his service. I wear his name. It would be an embarrassment to him if I floundered financially. It would be an embarrassment to him if our church floundered financially. He's not going to let that happen. So why should I worry about it? Why should I waste time wondering what's going to happen when God has already promised that he's going to take care of us? And if you do the same, then he'll roll your financial worries off onto himself too. And here's the promise that we have in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? Well, he says in verse 32, verse, verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And all those things that you would be worrying about, that you've given to him, they're all going to be added unto you. In other words, he'll take care of your food. He'll take care of your clothing. He'll take care of your shelter. He'll take care of all the things that you need. Why? 
because he does it for the birds. He does it for the lilies. And to him, he sees us as so much more important than that. He died for us. He gave his life for us. We're his. And he's going to provide. That's not something that we have to worry about. It doesn't matter how little money you have at your disposal. Because you have all the promises of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you again so much for how good you are to us. And oh God, if we could start tonight to talk about all the ways that you've provided for us financially, all the ways that you've just blown us away with the way that you've taken care of us, we'd still be here tomorrow morning talking about all the things that you've done. I thank you so much for the way that you provide. There's nothing to worry about, and I pray that you help us all to get to the point where we can just cast everything on you. Be careful for nothing, you tell us. Don't be worried about anything, but, with it, but, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Father, I pray that you'd help us to make our requests known unto you. Because the truth is you already know them in the first place. And you're already working on our problems. And to you, it's not a problem. I pray that you'd help us to trust you, to have the faith, to believe that you'll take care of us. And God, I pray that you'd help us all not to worry, not to fret, because you have it all under control. And God, I pray that if there's a decision that needs to be made tonight, because we are humans, because we have flaws, and because sometimes we do worry about things that we should never worry about, I pray that you'd convict our hearts of those things tonight and that we'd get those things taken care of with you and that you could be pleased with the way that we live. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As the piano plays, the invitation is open and you can come.